listening to Wake Up and Read the Labels, your guide to eating simple and feeling good. If you want to eat clean and feel your best, guess what? You're in the right place. Each week, we talk about ingredients that may be holding you back from feeling your best. We also talk to some brands that are going against the grain and actually using real ingredients we can recognize. Plus, we're sharing stories with people who are just like you, who actually woke up and read the labels. Welcome to Wake Up and Read the Labels podcast. I'm so excited because we're going to be talking today to Stephen Wright, the founder of Healthy Gut Company. He calls himself a health engineer, right? This is a term that he's carved out himself, and I'm excited to dive into exactly what this is. But in this episode, we talk about how he was sick and Western medicine failed him, number one. That's how he got started into this whole health engineer field. And then also... We dove into a common supplement that many people are deficient in, which is magnesium. Now, can you eat enough foods rich in magnesium to make up for this? Number one. Number two is, are all magnesium created equal? That means when you're at the supplement store or the grocery store and you're getting magnesium, what should you be looking for on these labels? And what do the back of these supplement labels even tell you? Stephen, I'm so excited to have you here today. Tell me uh, off the bat, what is a health engineer? Well, it's a term that completely is made up by me, as far as I know. But basically, I have an engineering degree from college. And part of how my journey, how we got here, was I was really sick. And when I didn't get help from Western medicine, I relied on my electrical engineering degree, which is essentially systems thinking, everything's related to everything, there's math behind things. And if we can boil a system down to inputs and outputs, we can begin to play with the inputs and measure the outputs where we want change. And if we look at the details, but we also keep the macro in perspective, we can usually make really good change. And so I was fixing robots and working on electrical grids and things like this. And then I just sort of applied that same way of thinking to the human body and, you know, I guess that's just how I think and, and how I do things and couple that with a functional medicine sort of degree, if you will, from the Kalish Institute. And I guess that's what a health engineer is. Awesome. So do you tell people you're a health engineer and then what do they say? They just kind of nod because I don't think anybody really knows. <laughs> They're like, all right, that sounds strange. That leads me to, yes, I kind of carved out the term food coach. I also like ingredientitian. Ooh. When I start certifying people, yes, and reading the labels, instead of nutrition and dietitian, ingredientitian, but often, you know, I'm sure you've heard of Emerald before, yes? Yeah. The chef, yeah. He was at a wedding I was at last weekend, and I actually, one of my first famous people that I was a food coach to was a guy named, he was a chef at Commander's Palace. His name's Tori McPhail, and he trained under Emerald for like 10 or 20 years. And so I met Emerald at this wedding. Everybody knew who he was, but nobody was actually talking to him, and he's standing at this table. So I was like, I'm going to meet Emerald. So I walk over there. I'm like, hey, Emerald. Hi, my name's Jen Smiley. I'm a local New Orleanian. And it's nice to meet you. And bless his heart. His face is like, it's like Coach O from the LSU Tigers. I mean, blood pressure has to be at all-time high. His face is super red. He looks like a balloon. He's about to pop. But generally speaking, super nice. And so he shook my hand. And I was like, oh, by the way, 
I'm a food coach to Tori McPhail. I'm like, you know, Tori, right? He's like, yeah, I know Tori. And he just kind of smiled and nodded at me like, what the heck is a food coach? And I said, oh, I told him how to make a roux clean and a gumbo clean and all these Creole dishes clean. And he's also probably thinking, what the heck does clean even mean? Because it's all he knows is like vegetable oil and all purpose flour. But nonetheless, I love that you carved it out for yourself because like you mentioned, hey, I was sick. Western medicine wasn't doing it for me. Kind of the same thing, right? People are counting their calories, they're exercising, they're going to the doctor. My husband just went to the doctor this morning for his knee. It hurts and it's his second appointment with them ever. And they're already mentioning to him, hey, let's do surgery. He's like, I'm 42 years old. So take me back to you were sick. What were you dealing with? I've had problems since birth. I was born with a, a birth defect and Growing up, I had IBS. I didn't know that because it's uh, in my family. And so everybody in my family farted a lot. And <laughs> I farted more than everybody, though. And they nicknamed me the gas man. That's hilarious. Yeah, I have a lot of embarrassing stories about high school and college and after college. But it was really, you know, I think my experience of life is that women are more in tune with their bodies just generally than men. And men don't go to the doctor kind of like your husband until something really important to them is broken and doesn't work. Yep. And generally speaking, that's what happened with me. I was a consultant in Chicago and I was working on a 16th floor and I couldn't like stop farting basically. Every meal, whether it was salad and chicken breast because I was trying to lose weight at the time or beer and burgers with the client, I would bloat up so bad, wow. I would have pain. And then if if you have visceral hypersensitivity, which is what that's called, you know that basically there's, a, there's only one way to get it to go away, and that's to fart. But then, of course, you have the smell and the embarrassment and all that. But being on the 16th floor, all I could do is like just, just basically crop dust over and over again because there's not like that many things you can do. And so my coworkers were like, hey, you got to get rid of this. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to work here. And so that's when I had like my wow. wake-up moment. And started seeking help from, you know, first Western medicine and then many other steps beyond that. Oh my gosh. Did, did when you were seeking these things out, did they put you on a diet or was it prescription medication? Yeah. They just told me, look, you have a family history of IBS. You don't have the celiac genes. This is 2009. And so okay. at least they tested me for celiac back then, which is pretty cool. But yeah, they said Metamucil, antibiotics, and whole grains would be my answer. And I tried that for like another six weeks. Well, not antibiotics because I'd already done like three and a half years of those with a dermatologist and ended up in the hospital when I messed my gut up doing that. So mm-hmm. I had an all night you know, diarrhea session and called a buddy of mine from college who had celiac disease in the morning because I think most of us with IBS or some form of gut issue, we have like one buddy or one friend that we commiserate with who really knows the truth of how bad we are. And he was like, dude, you have to, you have to change your diet. Like that's the only thing you haven't tried. You know, I changed mine and it it's really working for me. And I know it's a lot, but like do it. And so the next week I started something called the specific carbohydrate diet, which is like a old school diet. That's a lot like paleo, but there's no processed foods allowed. And there's certain restrictions. It's kind of complex, but it's, it's really great for really in, intense GI issues. And within three or four days, probably half of my bloating was gone. And that was just an amazing light bulb moment for me where I was like, holy cow, I have power. Yeah. And now I can just, you know, this kind of sucks, but if I can embrace this, I can fix this myself. I can reverse engineer this. That's what I thought. I was like, if this worked for me, it's worked for others. I have to meet them and find out what else they did. And then I'll try that too. 
Okay. So then is this kind of how the Healthy Gut Company evolved at this moment? When did you come to this realization that I can create a supplement to help this? <laughs> well, we were not a supplement company to start with. Weeks later, we started writing an ebook about how to execute that diet because it was really hard. If anybody's changed their diet, you know that changing your diet is much a emotional process as it is a what are you actually eating? Mm -hmm. It's a social process as well. And so we wrote a book about how to, you know, kind of change your diet from an emotional and social sort of sticking way. And we started writing because at the time we both were angry. We didn't want to work for the man. And we were pissed that no one was talking about this stuff. Like, how did we go this many years in all this pain and not have just wasn't on the internet. It was in like Yahoo listservs back then, you know, like the bowels of the internet, literally you had to go to, to find this kind of advice. And so we just started blogging about whatever worked the cross section between what worked in real life, which is sort of a, an engineering approach to fixing things with what was actually in PubMed and in the research journals. And then when we talked with our doctors, what did they rely on in office? And so we started blogging, writing books, doing courses since you know 2009. And about three years ago, I actually gave up. I, we had a clinic. We did functional medicine for a little while. I gave up because my visceral hypersensitivity didn't go away despite spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, having access to everybody in the world that I could think of. And only to find out I had trauma and I had some emotional work I needed to do. And then coming back from that, I still realized that there was problems in the supplement space for people with gut issues that no one had solved yet. And they were really, really annoying to me. And I wanted the products for myself, for my family members, many of whom are dealing with cancer, intense, other you know, autoimmune conditions, things like that. And so Healthy Gut got pivoted three years ago when sort of I needed to re-support my body and then my family was going through a tough time as well. Okay. So with these gut supplements for people listening, we're going to dive into these gut supplements now that you provide, but can one eat whatever they want and then combat all their problems with a gut supplement or does one need to take these gut supplements with the assistance of a well-balanced diet or eating clean, I would call it? Well, it depends on how healthy one, one, one wants to be. Right. I think health has to be defined by everybody. And if you're someone dealing with a chronic condition of some type, whether it's gut or sleep issues or diabetes or joint pains, whatever it is, it's going to be a dietary, like a clean eating plus supplements plus probably exercise or stress reduction is going to be your answer. Mm -hmm. It's never just going to be one thing. There's not one miracle drug, one miracle supplement. There's not one miracle food and there's not one miracle exercise. It's the combination of how we live our lives that will get you, I think, a really broad, diverse diet. I'm not somebody who says you can't eat a gluten-free pizza. We're coming up on the holidays. I'm not someone who says sugar's the devil. You should avoid every cookie, but you should know that if you eat cookies every day for the next like two weeks, you will probably have gut issues. You'll probably want to take some supplements to support that. And hopefully you'll detox it, you know, after that and not continue with the sugar and the processed foods. So there is consequences, but if if we I think if we restrict too much, we do a lot of damage as much as sort of being too loose. 
Mm -hmm. I agree. I think it all works like a symphony with the clean diet. In addition to the clean supplements, it all, you know, helps each other. And I like to tell people that I coach with forgiveness. So yes, if you are at a holiday party or you're at your friend's house and you can't control what's there, like eat it. But if you're doing the majority good, there's little bits, like you might have your issue of IBS pop back up, or you might have headaches, you might be bloated, you might be fatigued, you might be running to the bathroom, all these things. But if you're eating clean, you can overcome that within you know 12 to 24 hours when you get back on board. So I appreciate that you said that. Now, let's dive into you guys' supplements. How many supplements do you offer and which one you want to talk about first? We currently have seven. Okay. And I prepared a lot for magnesium today, so we can start there. Okay. And I think most people are deficient in magnesium, right? I've been told a lot by functional practitioners, we need vitamin C, vitamin D, and magnesium. Those are the top three everybody should be taking. Yeah, I would not disagree with that. Magnesium is needed by 600 different enzymatic functions in your body. The major sources of magnesium that we would eat are things like seeds, like pumpkin seeds, chia seeds, almonds, which are nuts. But like just like you talk about labels, like what we read on a label isn't necessarily what we absorb. So we're still reliant on our gut function and our gut absorption to get that nutrient from that food. So we have declining levels of magnesium in the soil. We have declining levels of gut health. And also we do a lot of the things that deplete magnesium these days, including stress and we use prescription drugs, alcohol, a lot of exercise. And so magnesium deficiency is thought in Americans to be somewhere between 60 to 80% of the population. So 60 to 80% are deficient. Is that what you're saying? That's what the research suggests. Yeah. Okay. There's a big debate happening. I've kind of coined it the magnesium wars because it at least gets people's attention that yeah. this kind of boring nutrient is actually really important. Yeah. And odds are you listening, you're probably deficient, but can someone test for magnesium levels? So yes, but the result may not be worth the money. So this is part of the huge debate that's happening in the scientific community right now. Mm -hmm. So that you can get your blood serum. That's like your regular serum level of your blood tested. You can get your red blood cells tested. That's called magnesium RBC. And then you can get your urine tested for magnesium. Those are the three commercially available ways to test for magnesium at the moment. Now, unfortunately, less than 1% of all of your body's magnesium is in your blood less than 0.3% is in your serum, that serum test, that's the cheapest test you can get. And there's research showing that your bones, which contain 50 to 60% of your magnesium, and your muscles and organs, which contain like 30 to 40%, those levels do not correlate with the serum and the magnesium RBC or the urine. And so you could be experiencing osteoporosis or um, diabetes or atherosclerosis or even just GI upset or sleep issues and have regular magnesium serum levels or in the range, according to the doctors, according to the labs. But if you were to actually pull your bone sample, you could find that you have low bone or maybe you have low, some organ in your body's low in magnesium. And so that's the unfortunate point of where we are with medicine in, in the world. And look, I'm an engineer, so I love data. So finding this out was super annoying because I have like probably, I don't know, 30 magnesium RBC tests that I've done over the last 10 years. And I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Only to find out that, wait, 
maybe symptomology is a better test right. than the levels. If you engineer this, you're actually deficient, Stevian. Okay, what type of magnesium is easiest for the body to absorb? And I'm assuming they're different ones. Yeah, so there's all kinds of magnesium out there and dealer supplement companies out there, most of them, there's a lot of marketing claims about like my form of magnesium is the best. And it's a really beautiful, cute story to tell the average person. But when you dig into the actual research, like I did, you find that it's not true. In fact, for instance, magnesium oxide is the most demonized. It's considered like the, the cheapest and the one that is like not most bioavailable. However, there's plenty of research showing that all the magnesium forms are basically absorbed between 23 to 24%. So while magnesium oxide is the lowest bioavailable, it's like 23% and like mm -hmm. magnesium glycinate and magnesium citrate are like 23.8 or 23.9. So there's no real practical difference between the types as far as bioavailability. The actual difference is in how you feel and the symptomology that, that comes from those forms of magnesium. And sometimes those are side effects in a bad way. Sometimes those are side effects in a good way. Interesting. Okay. So how does one even know what kind they have or what they're looking at? Is that printed on the bottle in the front or do you have to actually research the company? No, no. It'll be on the label. The FDA requires that legally on the back of your bottle, you'll see something like magnesium glycinate, magnesium oxide, magnesium citrate, things like that. So you can read the supplement facts panel and find that out. So that's where you can start. And then if you're trying to target a certain thing, so for instance, let's say you're somebody with GI upset mm -hmm. and you're trying to target just sleeping better, less, less anxiety, better gut, things like that. There is a study on Crohn's disease, people who had a surgery where they basically resized the small intestine and they did magnesium oxide versus magnesium glycinate. Okay. Now what they found was the absorption was almost identical. However, the side effects of magnesium oxide were like, I don't know, like three or four of the 12 people quit the study due to diarrhea from the oxide. However, no one complained of issues from the glycinate. And this is kind of also known from functional medicine doctors and integrative medical doctors that glycinate is highly tolerated and magnesium oxide is the least tolerable form of magnesium. It causes the most diarrhea, like not the good kind, like the explosive, you got to run to the bathroom for a few hours kind. Yeah. So that's where like we formulated with magnesium glycinate because it's the most well tolerated and it still offers some really cool possibilities with the glycine bond. Okay. And so I know you had mentioned the oxide only delivers like, I don't know, 20 to 24%, right? What what is the percentage on the glycinate? It's the same. It is the same. Yeah. So it's the same for citrate. It's the same for glycinate. It's the same for malate. So all these companies out there are telling you bioavailability is the difference. It's not. Got it. It's the side effect profile. Okay. So it's a marketing tactic, right? A hundred percent. Okay. And so you're saying you use glycinate and I'm trying to understand this myself and I'm sure everybody listening is as well. You're saying glycinate because it has less side effects? Less side effects and the bind is to glycine. Got it. So it's glycine and magnesium and glycine. Many people are deficient in glycine as well. It's part of why bone broth, I think helps a lot of folks as bone broth is highly rich in glycine. A lot of people are just not 
getting enough amino acids these days. And so you get a bunch of glycine with your magnesium, and that glycine can help people who are stressed, who are anxious, who are trying to get better sleep, those types of things. So I think it's the best molecule to bind magnesium to because that other molecule gives you good side effects. Got it. Okay. And what about as far as food goes, do people generally get enough magnesium from the foods they eat or which foods are high in magnesium? Yeah, I don't personally think they do unless you're like out there making your own food in the garden, mostly eating all your own vegetables, taking a lot of good care of yourself, probably not on the computer right now listening to this or watching this. Yeah. Like most of us don't lead that life anymore. And so you can cook leafy greens, you can eat maybe like sprouted seeds, you can eat a lot of nuts, but you're reliant on your stomach acid to liberate the magnesium from those products. And then you're reliant on your gut and your enzymes to basically bind and break them down and absorb them. And so should you also have some sort of gut dysfunction or or stomach acid dysfunction, then you could be eating quote unquote cups of spinach, but maybe not getting the magnesium from it into the actual body. Got it. Okay. And for those listening, how do you suggest someone get started on this journey? So with like D and C and magnesium, I personally think some of the best ways to do it is just start for three months and find something that makes you feel better. So with magnesium, I think magnesium glycinate is the best combo form of it. It causes the least amount of side effects and you can do it in a high enough doses. You should feel it, especially if you take it with dinner or before bed. So I would say try it for 30, 60 days. If you don't feel different, then switch, switch forms. You know, if you work with a company like Healthy Gut, we have a 60 day return policy. So you can switch it out for something else. Hopefully we're going to try to get the rest of the supplement industry to adopt some sort of policy like that so that people can actually find Mm -hmm. the form of magnesium that they actually need. And then the other thing I would say is play with the dosage. So you talk about labels all the time. I'm sure maybe you've mentioned that these labels are not only really important pieces of information, but they're also legal. They're legal advice. Mm -hmm. So the back of a supplement bottle is legal. It's not health advice. Now, most of us have ethical standards and moral standards. And so the serving size and the what's on the back of the bottle, we, we try to design that so that it also gives the consumer an idea of where they should be taking the product. But it is first and foremost legal advice with the FDA and the FTC. It's not health advice. And so taking an extra capsule or two could be the difference between magnesium working for you and magnesium not working for you. So please play with your dosages as well. Yeah, I love it. And I would also look into just generally speaking, look into a functional practitioner, because if your doctor isn't talking to you about these things, it's not necessarily that he's doing you wrong. It's just that he doesn't know and he doesn't know what he doesn't know. And you don't know what you don't know. So Stephen, I do love to ask people in the end, you know, what is their wake up moment in life? But I feel like you literally said in the beginning, that was my wake up moment when you were at the office and they were like, you got to do something about this, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of many. Okay. You want to share another? Uh, Sure. Let's see. What's another one? I mean, I think another wake up moment was when I had spent, when I realized I had spent like several hundred thousand that I I was still experiencing the visceral hypersensitivity on and off. And I had all the disposal, like all the functional integrative people at my disposal. And 
I couldn't necessarily figure out my health advice. And so that's when I sort of talking with some, some therapists and things like that sort of realized a normal principle in engineering. So an engineering principle, one of them anyways, is if you keep seeking change from the same path, the law of diminishing returns kicks in. Mm -hmm. So like, let's say you keep changing your diet, you keep getting cleaner and cleaner and cleaner, but you still have skin issues. You still have migraines. You still have gut issues. The chances of you getting the result you want diminish the more strict and the farther you go. And so I had had several mentors of mine be like, what if your gut is like emotional related stuff? Or like, how come you don't talk about spiritual related stuff? Or there's this book called The Body Keeps Score. Have you read it? And so I had gotten all these hints along the years from actually integrative doctors and pretty amazing folks. And I just kept ignoring it, going towards this scientific diet supplements testing thing. And it was kind of like this is wake up moment of like, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep writing about this. I can't keep reading because it's not working for me. And that's kind of when I got that sort of light bulb journaling of like, wow, I have to go the other direction. I have to go where I don't want to go, which is in this soft gray area of emotions and trauma and spiritual stuff. And so that was a huge turning point for me and something that I really want to try to get the message out there for folks as well. It's not just the supplements and the diet and the testing. That's really important part of most people's healing journeys. And I don't know that you can get there without it. But also doing the emotional trauma work, I think, is also going to get you where you want to go. For sure. I love that. I tell people they evolve. So if they start somewhere, you know, especially with the labels and food, then they can also keep evolving and just make themselves more optimal and find out those things. I love it. So I looked at your Instagram. I think it is amazing, by the way. Keep it up. (laughs) I see all of your reels with your titles, everything. Really, really good job. I actually, for those that don't know, I started off my Instagram in this business with 200 followers. And That was three years ago, and I had no intention of growing an Instagram or understanding what the heck I was doing on Instagram, but I just kept being consistent, and it somehow it took off. It was word of mouth. Yeah, now you're crushing it. Yeah, it was just word of mouth, and I I do feel like for every person that follows me, they tell seven. It's really the best form of marketing, but that's how it is. It's just being consistent. So everybody go follow Steven on social media at Healthy Gut Co. You can also use the code WAKEUP15 for 15% off. And his website is healthygut.com. You can check out his supplements. And I would definitely start with the magnesium as I think everybody could benefit from a little bit more magnesium. With that being said, Steven, do you have anything to add? Well, I wanted to ask you a question. We were talking before we got started here. What's like a supplement question that you've been wrestling with or something about the supplement industry? We talked when we were at the show a few months ago about how the food industry has these things. And I was mentioning the supplement industry has these things. So is there any like supplement industry questions or things that are burning Uh, for you? You know, so when people do come to me, clients... There is this whole, they always are asking for, I need clean skincare, clean makeup, clean household stuff, clean supplements. And they start dipping into that, I guess, field. But I do try to stay in the label lane publicly because there is a lot of information on every category. And I cannot be the expert in every category. I do want to be a trusted 
or I want to be, you know, the digital hub where I show people trusted brands. And I really, it's my dream to connect, like my vision for the future is to connect this growing number of consumers who are seeking holistic health solutions and they're confused on where to go, right? Like you said, nobody knows where to go. And then you got the practitioners or people creating supplements like you, you guys are fragmented. And so the customers are siloed and they go, you know, individually, they go seek out one thing, whether it's a diet program, a personal trainer, they go get food meal prep delivery, or they come to your supplement and they figure out, hey, Stephen's healthy gut has the magnesium. Now they don't know where to go, who to talk to about these supplements and where to get others. So my kind of dream is to kind of piece it all together for people. But as far as supplements go, I don't know everything about supplements, but I do know that most supplements get absorbed by your stomach acid, right? And so I think for the majority of supplements people are buying, they're buying it because it's cheap, number one. They're buying it because of brand awareness. So you watch TV, you say Centrium, you see Flintstones, you see One a Day, all these things. And there's a lot of people who come into the wake up world and they actually have no idea that these vitamins are actually expensive urine or just trash. So I try to just open people's eyes and say, listen, everything you believe about these vitamins, it's not really true. You got to go find a better quality vitamin. So I guess my, my main question for you is not all, are all supplements made the same, but do you agree most supplements are just expensive urine and get lost in the GI tract and don't actually get absorbed or help you? (laughs) No, no, actually I don't. I don't believe that at all. You think the majority of the vitamins are good? No, I don't believe that either. Okay. So I believe in the the vitamin and mineral space, in the supplement space, in general, you pay for what you get. Yep. And so higher price stuff is going to be a better form or a more absorbable form of vitamins and minerals, or it's going to be in the quantity that is actually studied in the research. Okay. And that is the thing that is really annoying to me is that, for instance, somebody will put B12 in a supplement Mm -hmm. and- we know that B12 gets absorbed. We know that there's also different forms of B12. There's cyanocobalamin, which is the really cheap form. And then there's more expensive forms like methylcobalamin. And methylcobalamin gets absorbed better. And so people will say that cyanocobalamin, if it's in a supplement, is expensive P. Now, that's not true. There's research studies showing that it gets absorbed, but it does get absorbed less than the methyl versions. Mm-hmm. So it comes down to the dosage. If there's a bunch of the cyanocobalamin, like way more than the methyl, you might actually get more benefit from that product than from the person who's trying to make a $20 product and they're stripping the ingredients down to like 10 milligrams and saying, oh, hey, we have this really nice B12, but they're not putting in a dose that's effective for anybody. Okay. And so much like labels on food are really complex and and there's multi-layers to it, I don't agree that most vitamin and minerals are expensive P. I think that the expensive P comes from the wrong dosage of things. Okay. I don't even want to admit this, but I have to because we're having this conversation. So Centrum did a study. You can go look it up, like put in like Centrum NCBI multivitamin study. I think it was a two-year study and I don't recommend Centrum. I don't want anybody necessarily taking it, but if it's all you could afford, 
This study showed that just taking Centrum, I believe it was around brain health, actually slowed the development of neurodegenerative diseases, which is a really scary thing. And it's happening to a lot of seniors in the world today. So even a really cheap, very underpowered multivitamin was able to help over two years for people with like these brain related conditions. So that right there is like the poster child for like expensive pee. And yet they did a study with, I think over a hundred participants, which is a decent sample size showing that there was benefit. So again, I don't encourage it. I don't want people buying it necessarily, but if that's the only thing you could afford, mm-hmm. I don't think it's expensive pee. Okay. Well, you have debunked my belief. But with that being said, so my mother-in-law, I know she takes one a day. She's kind of losing her mind, but she also, it's a lot. She doesn't eat very much meat and she's definitely older. And I'm like, you know, we need to get you some better vitamins and we need to get you some protein and all these things. But, but okay, let me click, double click on that real quick. So the thing right there is very, very important. Prevention versus active recovery, two different buckets of supplements. Prevention, you might get away with a very cheap supplement, but if you're already dealing with decline in anything related to your heart, your brain, your eyes, your skin, like you're actively trying to recover from or restore wellness, you're going to need to go with the more expensive brands who actually put higher dosages because you're not doing normal like RDA amounts. You're trying to get recovery. And so that's where something like a one a day is probably not going to get you anywhere. Mm-hmm. Great. I love that. How do you feel about, and people ask me this all the time, how do you feel about fortified vitamins? Like when people are eating enriched white and wheat flour, and then it's got, you know, all the fortified vitamins in it, or people are eating cereals with the fortified vitamins, they come to me and they're like, these are vitamins. Why are they bad? Or how do you feel about that? I think it's, it is what it is. Like, I don't think you're getting your vitamin needs from them. Right. And potentially it might be disturbing the you know, it's a processed food. If you're eating yeah. that, it's therefore a processed food. And I think you and I both agree that less processed food equals better health. Yep. So did the government maybe help with some vitamin and mineral deficiencies back in, when did they start that? In like the thirties or something, something like that? Yeah. No, it definitely helps the people that can't afford vitamins or can't afford a well-balanced diet. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Like you said, it's something, right? It's like the centrium. It's something. Right, right. So it's something. But that's not what, if you're listening to this podcast, you're into like health span and active living and like feeling and looking your best. And like, that's not going to get you anywhere. I mean, if you're also drinking alcohol, if you're also stressed out, if you have kids, if you have a job that you actually work more than 40 hours or work a full 40 hours, if you feel anxiety about the state of the world, then those those fortified vitamins are, are very minuscule in your daily need. For sure. And I also, I like to tell people that when you are reading the labels and you see there are fortified vitamins listed in the ingredients, it's kind of a red flag to read the other ingredients because you will not find fortified vitamins in a clean or really good for you type of food. And so if you are confused about labels and trying to figure out what's good for you and what's not, like that's one of those ingredients where you can probably assume the other ingredients surrounding it aren't very good either. 
So that's what I have to say about that. But thank you for the question, Stephen. I appreciate it. It was amazing talking to you today. Everybody go follow at Healthy Gut Co. CO. Also, you can visit their website, healthygut.com and contact Stephen if you have any questions. I appreciate you, Stephen. Great to see you and know that we'll talk soon, okay? Yeah, thanks, Jen. Yeah, see ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wake Up and Read the Labels. If you like this episode, guess what? We want you to share it. We'd love that. Share it with a friend and leave us a review. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or really wherever you're listening to your podcast. For more information, visit us at wakeupandreadthelabels.com. Hold up. 